where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning, you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast. It's easy. It's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twit, X, whatever they call it, and YouTube. Then you can catch a podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and eventually to BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to concord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. Hey, I'm caught up. Did you answer that one today? Did there was not? nothing to answer to that one. Oh, okay. Well, you could at least say thank you. But I answered both of them. Okay. Go well, check. All right. I'm all caught up. All right. Well, he's he's doing better then. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them, Joe is an acquired taste. Yes, he is. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Good morning, everybody. It's Worship Wednesday. I didn't have a lesson plan today until I got into class. And I'm um, doing a little pre-show prep. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, what are we going to do? I just, Nothing was given to me. Um. I figure if you've got any questions, this is a good time for you to go ahead and post them. Uh, I do know that we have a few things that have been emailed to me and people have said that um, have, they linger with folks. Because if you've been with us any length of time, especially on Wednesdays, by now you've probably caught on to the fact that we read the scriptures a little differently than most people, namely because we read them. And because we try to read them with um, a Hebrew mindset, like like they were originally meant to be um, understood. And we try to bend ourselves to the scriptures rather than the scriptures to our will. Uh, bend our will to, to the scriptures rather than bend the scriptures to our will. And that's left some, um, meh, some questions out there. But at the same time, we've also apparently done some good work, too. We've got an email a couple, about a week ago. There's a couple out there that was watching one of our shows. And um, where we were addressing the Hebrew Roots movement, the using logic to look at the Hebrew Roots movement. And they thanked us for that show, saying that it explained their walk fairly well, and they wanted to share it with their family members so that their family members would hopefully better understand where they're at in their faith walk. I've found a lot of things in the scriptures since I started studying them and reading them for myself that I'd never heard before anywhere 
when I was in the Catholic church, the, the Baptist church, I just never heard it. None of it. And I've never had things explained to me the way the scriptures explain them. Um, so when, when I put my paw in the air and I volunteered to become a, a, you know, a Sunday school teacher at the time, because we lost ours and, uh, they split our class up into four. It was so big. It was like 76 people on the rolls in our one class. So they split it up and, and, and I ended up with some of those folks and I'm like, okay, well, I'm responsible now. Let's get to work. And I start reading the Bible and I start realizing that it doesn't teach what the church, what the church teaches. So if you're going to be true to the scriptures, if that's actually going to be your guide, your, your instruction manual, you got some things to wrestle with. And I know I, we try to share this with, with whoever wants to watch and listen and you do with it what you want. But we've found a few things along the way, and, and it's gotten one of the things I've heard back from more than one of the classmates here today that's that's listening with you. How do the Gentiles fit into all of this? Well, that's where I want to start today. Now, if you've got questions at any time, go ahead and post them. Email them if you want. Charlie watches the email address live during the show. He'll help. Charlie and Natasha, if you got a question, they'll get it to me. But other than that, I'm, I'm going to go with where I decided to, or where the Holy Spirit gave me to run today. How do the Gentiles figure in to salvation? How do you get saved? Where, where, where do we fit into this whole plan of Yahweh's, Yahweh God? And we're going to be using a little bit of, we're going to have to do some scripture surfing here. And I'm going to share my um, screen with you a lot today. And uh, let's see. You know what, folks? Let me just take me out of this. I'm not important here. This is BibleGateway.com. And I want to start here, Genesis 32, and this is verses 22 through 31. And y'all probably, if you're here today, you know this story, you've heard it. This is Jacob is wrestling with the angel, the angel of, of Yahweh, the angel of God. And he gets his name changed here. In verse 28, it says, the man said, and this angel is in the form of a man. The man said, from now on, your name will no longer be Jacob. You will be called Israel or Yisrael. Because you have wrestled with God and with men, and you have won. You've prevailed. Okay, now let me show you what I do here. I look this up on Bible Hub. This is an interlinear Bible. It's an interactive interlinear Bible. And it's, uh, it's going to read right to left because it's going to have the Hebrew right there in black. That's the Hebrew. That's what Charlie's reading right now because he reads that. Charlie, you might want to turn on your mic here. And it says, and he said, not Jacob shall be called anymore your name. This is literal translation, but Israel. So let me click on that right there. There's our definition of Israel or Israel, however you want to pronounce this. It says God strives. It's another name of Jacob in his description. And we come down here to Brown Drivers Briggs. This is where I'm going to hand off and let Charlie narrate a little bit to you and help Help us understand what Israel really means. What what does it mean to call Yahweh's people Israel? Charlie? Yes, and Yisrael actually means to well, he struggled with God is really what it what it means because it's in a uh, uh, imperfect verb form. But anyway, that that gets into a bunch of grammar. But uh, 
that's what it really means. Uh, so that, in, in fact, <laughs> it's kind of funny because as I was coming out of uh, the traditional church, I wrote a little blog post and the title of it was My Israel because it was my personal struggle with God as I was coming out and finding the truth and, you know, trying to figure out what does this Bible really say? So what we're looking at is anybody who struggles with Yahweh, the proper, the El Elyon, the God most high, Elohim most high, you're technically, you, you, you are properly Israel. Yes? Yes. Okay. And there's another thing here on, if you follow the links, you'll eventually find this. Strive, that Hebrew word for strive. Oh, you're going to find it connected to a lot of cool stuff here. This is, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's connected to strive. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's connected to strive. Be you therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven is perfect. That's connected to the concept of strive. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's connected to the Hebrew idea of strive. So this strives with, with God is a much bigger concept than we often realize or understand. Okay. Um, I'm going to take you out of there, Charlie, and put us back over here and go to the next section I want us to look at. So we've covered that part of um, what Israel means. You strive or you contend with or you wrestle with Yahweh, with, with God. Now, what, what about Gentiles? What do What is it with Gentiles? Well, this is stack exchange for Christianity. This is a... This is kind of like Reddit or Substack. Well, it's kind of like Reddit for Christian talk. And there was a question on here. And the question is, um, are the Old Testament scriptures that mention salvation for Gentiles, are there any? Oh, yeah, right there in that section right there. Genesis 12, 3, Psalms 22, 27, Isaiah 42, 4, Isaiah 49, 6, Isaiah 49, 6, right here in the NLT translation, it says, he says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is Messianic. It's talking about the Messiah. Also, you're going to find where the Gentiles are promised salvation, 56, verses 3, uh, Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 7, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Jeremiah 16, verses 19 through 21. Zechariah 2, verse 11. That one says, many nations will join themselves to the Lord, to Yahweh on that day, and they too will be my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies sent me to you. Now, the Lord of heaven's armies, that's a messianic title for Yeshua, the Messiah. So this is telling us that Jesus is going to live amongst us. But that's also Emmanuel. God is with us. So, yeah. That's talking about the Gentiles as well. But you're also going to find it Malachi 1.11, Romans 15, 9 through 12. So what do I have here? I have Old Testament prophecies and promises that Yahweh will restore those faithful Gentiles, those who will answer his call, 
he will restore them to himself. What has happened in Genesis? You have the Tower of Babel. God, Yahweh put everybody in the garden, Adam and Eve. There was the fall. They come out of there. They start multiplying. You know, he takes them out of the garden, tells them, okay, well, here you go. The world has fallen. Now you got to work for a living. Get to work. And after a bit, we start having babies. And the angels or a group of angels say, hey, them girls are kind of cute. Let's go. We're going to make babies. Well, that's Genesis 6. That doesn't go too well. That causes another breach in the way of things. It gets to a point where we have to have the flood because everything's wicked. There's only one righteous man left. You know, Noah is to the world as Lot is to Sodom and Gomorrah. One righteous man left. So we have the flood. Yahweh says, I got to get rid of all that flesh. It's corrupted its ways. Start all over. And then we go from there. We go right back into this mess again. Now we're in the Tower of Babel. Yahweh splits that up too. And you go forward in time. And eventually, Yahweh's people just, eh, there's nobody there. Nobody wants them anymore. So he calls Abraham out, or Abram, who becomes Abraham. Abraham tries to do it his way, makes Ishmael, who will become the father of the Muslims, the Ishmaelites and the Muslims, and eventually the Arabs. He Then when he finally waits on Yahweh, he gets Isaac. Well, Isaac is the one who the birthrights, all the promises to Abraham are passed to Isaac, and Isaac passes it to Jacob, and Jacob splits it. Jacob puts leadership on his son Judah, but the rest of the birthright on his adopted son, his grandson, who he adopts in as his son, Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh, but primarily Ephraim. And what we're promised in Genesis, Yahweh says, eventually, I will reverse all of this, and I will re-inherit the whole world. Because at Genesis 10 and 11, when he splits up the nations at Babel, he gives one of his members of his royal court to each of the 70 nations he creates. So remember, those who are against nationhood, you're kicking against the boards of God. Communists want to go back to the Tower of Babel. Who was it that first designed borders and sets the borders for the nations? According to the Bible, God did that. So if you want to do away with borders, you're kicking against the boards. You're fighting God. He's the one who created them. And he's the one that will erase them in the very end. So I want to go from that point to where um, to where uh, well, hold on a minute, hold on, I'm I'm sorry. This is where we're at right now, okay. And we were talking about promising the Gentiles, right? Let's go back here before we keep going. Before I take you where I want to go next, this is back where we were talking about the Gentiles. Zechariah two eleven. You read this. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day, and they too will be my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies sent me to you. All right, we're studying the Bible right now. So I go back to my interlinear. Charlie, you might want to pop your mic on again. We're Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11. Many nations, right here where it says nations. I'm going to pop on that definition. Goy. Goyim is plural, right, Charlie? That is correct. And goy, what does that actually mean? Let's go down to brown right there so you can read the brown if you need to. It says nation, but people. Not nations in the tent sense that we tend to think anymore, is that, Charlie? No. It's, I mean, it can be a, a group of people. I mean, especially when you're, when you speak it as goyim. Uh, 
but in general it's a people could right. be a tribe which you know sometimes is equated to a nation as well and it can actually be a a, a nation uh so context is you can find in hebrew context is key but now does the hebrew definition of nation fit our definition of nation where you have to have set borders and a government and a military not that, always right yeah so what if i had a land where there were a whole bunch of different people groups all mixed together living together like in a melting pot would i not have a company of peoples yes so that would fit the idea of a company of nations wouldn't it it would yes it would also mean a collection of gentiles is this not the word that the hebrews translate that we translate as gentiles uh, in some cases, yes. In some cases. Quite often, it's the Hebrew word behind the word Gentile in the Old Testament, isn't it? Uh, not so, always. but Not always. Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Folks, this is key. This is this is word study here. This is, thanks, Charlie. This is a time where word study actually is going to come in handy for us. So we're going to come back to this. Because in Zechariah, it's basically saying my, many people, or you could say many nations, or you could say many Gentiles, will join themselves to to the Messiah, to Yahweh, or, or Yeshua, however you want to look at that, on that day. And they, too, will be my people. Well, let me see if I can go back from here. They will be my people. Um, people. Now, that's different from Goy, isn't it, Charlie? Yes, usually... Usually, Am um, just refers to There's brown a group for of people where Goim, in in many cases, would be better looked at as those outside of Israel. Mm. Now, it, it, it you know, you could, you know, there are instances I believe where you know Goim could include Israel, but in general, uh, Am is usually you know, especially in the prophetic language. Yes. Yes. Especially in the prophetic language. So where we're at here with Zechariah, that's essentially saying many Gentiles will join themselves to, to the Messiah on, or to Yahweh on that day. And they too will become my people. They will become Hebrews. They'll become Israel. There's no replacement Israel. Israel has not been replaced by the church. The church is supposed to become Israel. And we'll we'll show you that as we get going along further. Now, I told you where I wanted to go next. This is where Jacob, now known as Israel, is going to bless the children. And we go down here, and there's a passage where it says, um, that Israel reached out his right hand, placed it on his head, and Ephraim and his younger, and on his left hand, Manasseh, and he blesses him. And then Joseph saw his father, this is in verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand and moved it to Ephraim's head, to Manasseh's head. This is because in their culture, firstborn son is supposed to be double inheritance and the double blessing. And Joseph's not happy with what his father's doing. Verse 18, and Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. Verse 19, but his father refused and said, I know my son, meaning Joseph, I know he also will become a people and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day saying, but you Israel will pronounce blessings saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. All right. 
Let's go back to verse 19, back to my interlinear Bible. This is how I do scripture study, folks. I want to see something going on here. This is my son. I know he also will become a people. So this is Am. I looked at that people. That's the same type of Am. So they Yahweh's people type in the prophetic language also. And he shall be great, but truly his brother younger, meaning Ephraim, shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall be a multitude. I want to open that one of nations. And I want to open that one. So the first one is multitude, Milo. Am I saying that right, Charlie? Um, there's your brown driver so you can hello. see it. In, yeah. Hello? And it, that means fullness or that which fills. Or am I missing that? Is that pretty much where we want to be? Yeah, yeah that's. All right. So it's going to be filled. fullness of Goy. Fullness of the Goyim. Fullness of the nations or fullness of, fullness of the Gentiles. Where have we seen that before, boys and girls? Does that passage ring any bells to anybody? This is Romans 11.25. For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, this is where we start to have a problem. In our world today, we think Israel equals Jews. No. No. It's not that simple. This is where we're going to start having some problems with, because, you know, if you keep reading in chapter 11, Romans 11, it says all Israel will be saved. Why does Paul have to say all Israel? This is why we started where I started. Israel essentially means all who strive with Yahweh, contend with, wrestle with, try to work out their own salvation with Yahweh. All. Jew, Israelite, Hebrew, Gentile, all. But Israel, at the time that Paul is writing, is not Judah. And I know this is where a lot of people get sideways because they don't see this. They don't believe it. They, they're the, um, one of the things that you find in the Hebrew Roots movement, people object to what's known as the two-house theology. They say, well, there's no such thing. You, you guys think you're the lost tribes. No. When properly framed, that is not what is being said. What is being said is that we are either unknowingly part of the lost tribes or Gentiles grafted in to the house of Israel, the lost tribes. That's the proper way of looking at this. Comment on the board from Aaron Spikes. I think we've covered this, but does being gra uh, drafted or grafted in mean that we are not now Hebrew and should start thinking like a Hebrew and being obedient to what is required by the Father to the best of our ability? Yes. If you are grafted into the house of, of Yahweh, Yahweh's people, his kingdom, his people, you know, you'll be my people. It, there's no theology changing here. There was no new religion made. You are brought in. Nothing was destroyed to remake. You're brought into the household. This is all in ancient um, ways of looking at things. You're part of a, of a, uh, a people now, like an um. 
You're part of a nation, the kingdom of Yahweh. You're part of Yahweh's people. You become Hebrew, crossed over. You become Israel. So when when the New Testament believers look back in the Old Testament and say, look, that's just to Israel, the, the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath, that's just to Israel. We have already covered enough in Scripture to tell you that if you are not Israel, you're in big trouble. If you're looking for eternal salvation and you are not grafted into Israel, you're in trouble. You cannot be saved without being grafted into Israel. Yes, you just heard me say that. That's scriptural. But you have to understand something that we'll get to it here in a few minutes. You have to understand that the Bible tells you this. The Bible tells you you have to become Israel to be saved. It just uses a different word. You and I think, well, we, we can't be saved unless we're born again. Exactly. Yes. We should tackle that right now, Charlie. The word Hebrew. Put your put your yes. microphone on. So Genesis 14, 13, first place where I saw Hebrew used in the scriptures. This is Abraham, the Hebrew. So this is Strong's 5680. So I go to that. Ibri. Perhaps descendant of Eber, also another name of is for Israelite. Okay, well, Israelite means all those who contend with Yahweh. But now we're going to go down here and we're going to let Charlie explain to us that this word Eber, what we think of as Hebrew, is a big word. It means more than what most of us realize. Charlie, to take it away and explain to folks what this word actually means and what the concept behind it is in the Old Testament. Yeah, Ibri, it... it uh... You know, we, we call it Hebrew, but in the Hebrew, it simply means to cross over or one who has crossed over. Um, and this, if you look through scriptures, oh my gosh, so many places you see this, uh, this played out in many different ways. Uh, of course, the most probably thing that would come to mind for most people is the crossing of the Red Sea by the Israelites. Or the Jordan they, when Abraham came into the promised land. That too, that too. Like I said, this is multiple things. I, mm -hmm. I mean, Elijah and, and Elisha, uh, you know, and, uh, and we were talking about this before the show that uh, Yeshua was talking to Nicodemus, who was a, a Pharisee. He was a teacher of, of, you know, the people. And, you know, Yeshua was talking to him about being born again, and he looks at him and he says, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't understand this? Uh, basically, he was telling him to be born again is to be a Hebrew, to cross over. Yep, you were cross crossing over from being a Gentile or an unbeliever, an infidel, whatever you want to call it, into becoming one of the sons of God or God's people. So if I'm Abraham and I cross over the Jordan, I've crossed over. And then when the people cross over the Red Sea, they've crossed over. And when Joshua leads them back into the promised land, they cross over the Jordan yes, again. Yes. And when you are There's baptized. Yeah. Oh, guess what? <laughs> that's a symbolic of you crossing, crossing over. over. You're born of yes, water is. and spirit. Yes. These are all symbolic. I mean, you see the earthly manifestations, but this is a spiritual thing uh, that's just played out for us. So if I'm reading the Old Testament, I can't quite say born again every place I see Hebrew because that would be lacking some stuff. The Hebrew incorporates all of the idea of born again, but it also incorporates the physical crossing overs. But when I get to the New Testament, born again is a very good substitute for Hebrew or crossed over. Yes. So if I want to read the New Testament everywhere where I see born again or be born again, I could just say Hebrew. 
you've yeah. got to cross over. At least in my opinion, yes. That's the way the concept you, seems to flow. At, yeah, if you look at the concept, the, the spiritual concept before behind it, right. uh, you know, yes. So how does one get saved without crossing over? You don't. I don't see how you could. But once you've crossed over, what people group are you now? What arm are you? You're Israel. God's people. Yeah, Israel. you're God. You're Israel. So this idea that we've got in the in the visible traditional church that thanks Charlie that um, the Jews have been replaced? No, no, the Jews have not been. Whoops, sorry, the Jews have not been replaced. Nobody's ever going to replace them. You've been grafted in. And the Jews, which is the house of Judah, will be put back with the house of Israel. And, and this is clearly explained in the scriptures, but we don't pay attention. We don't read. And we don't hear what the scriptures are telling us. Let me show you. It, lots of people know this one. Pop us over here. This is Ezekiel 37. The vision of the dry bones. Well, I don't want to look at the physical imagery. I want to go down here where the vision is explained. So this angel, this Elohim, talking to uh, Ezekiel, he explains the vision of the dry bones coming together. He says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the entire house of Israel. Everybody. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am going to open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life, and I will place you on your land, then you will know that I am the Lord and have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. And then underneath here, I have a subset that says reunion of Judah and Israel. That's when the two sticks are put back together. Now, hold on for just a second. Let's go back here to verses 11 through 14. So these are the of the entire house of Israel. That means Gentiles as well. And he says, our bones are dried up and have perished, meaning they are spiritually dead. At this point, the house of Israel has been divorced from God. They were given a get. This is in Jeremiah, but it's also recorded in Isaiah as well. So if you're given a get, a divorce, you're no longer part. You're not married to God. You're not part of the kingdom. You're spiritually dead. You could still be saved individually, but as a people, spiritually dead. So dried bones. Therefore, prophecy to them saying, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I'm going to open your graves. What happened at the resurrection, Charlie? Were there anybody coming up out of the graves? Yes, many graves were open and appeared too many in Yerushalayim. And did he not take bounty captives from Sheol? When he was, scriptures say that, right? Say that. Yeah. It, okay, so is Ezekiel talking about the physical nation of Israel coming back together? Is Ezekiel talking about the initiation of the new covenant when all believers, dead and alive and future, who believe in the Messiah will be coming back to life again spiritually? Or is he talking about toward the very end when the rapture happens and all of them are brought back to life. Yes. Exactly. Yes. This is one of the problem, problems with reading the prophets. Do not nail down one specific day, hour, minute, or whatever of time onto the prophet's prophecies. That will get you sideways. He is talking about then, now, and in the future. 
course, now from his perspective where he's writing, it's all in the future. But from our perspective, that is a, a then now and yet to come. Or does that not work for you, Charlie? Works for me. Okay. So let's keep going with this one. We're still talking about putting things together, right? This is the word of the Lord came again to me saying, now you son of man, I'm picking up verse 15, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel, his companions. Hmm. The sons of Israel. That's the man. The house of Israel, that's the northern kingdom. You got to understand the prophets. You got to understand the way they're using the language. Ephraim is the leader of the, of the northern kingdom. Judah has the scepter. Ephraim has the birthright. Verse 17, then put them together for yourself, one to another in, in a stick, so that they may become one in your hand. In other words, back together, one people. Heal the breach. And when the sons of your people speak to you, saying, will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with the stick of Judah and make them one stick and they will be one in my hand. In other words, back to one people, one house. The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. This is a visual imagery. Help you understand and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I am going to take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone. That's the lost tribes for the most part and the dysphoria, the, the scattered Jews. But this is sons of Israel and all. And I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king over all of them for all of them. And they will no longer be two nations. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody who's just told me over my last two or three years struggling with this, that the scriptures do not call to two houses, two nations. What did Ezekiel just say? Speaking for from the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking for Yahweh, he says they were two nations and will no longer be two nations. He says they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their offenses, but I will rescue them from the dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they will be my people and I will be their God, their Elohim. Now we're going to finish that in just a minute, but for the moment, how much clearer does Ezekiel have to be? Two houses, two nations. Also, the two witnesses. You'll find them again in Zechariah and the book of Revelation. Yes, and my Mormon friends, pay attention to what you just read because they take this scripture and they twist it and wrangle it so badly that they do not understand what this prophecy is about. Now, the house of Israel, <laughs> that's who the Gentiles are grafted into. This started at the cross. It is continuing today, and it will reach its final fulfillment at the resurrection and judgment day. This is an ongoing prophecy. You want proof? Go to the book of Revelations. When Jesus, Yeshua, tells John, write what you have seen, seeing, and will see. What was, is, and is to be. 
He tells John he's looking at the whole thing in time, past, present, future, from John's perspective, around 90 AD, 90 to 100 AD. It's past, present, and future. You must keep that context in mind. Well, the prophets all tend to write like this. Time doesn't mean the same thing to them in their visions as it does to us. They're in visions in the spirit world. They're in a different dimension of time. They may not even have the language to explain to us what they're seeing. They may not understand it fully. They're telling us what Yahweh needs us to know or wants us to know. We don't need to know everything. But this is definitely two houses. I don't know how to read the scriptures any clearer than this without twisting them. Two houses. Exactly what Jeremiah told me. Exactly what Isaiah told me. And who did Jesus say he was sent to? but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If he was sent only to the Jews, you don't have a Messiah, Gentiles. But yet we just read the Old Testaments that promised the Messiah to the Gentiles. So Jesus was not sent to the Jews. He said, I come first to my own people. They reject me. Now I'm going to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Those are Hebrews who no longer realize they're part of Jacob's 12 sons, 13 sons, but they're also who? All the Gentiles that want to join and become a disciple of the Messiah, become part of his family, his people, his um, through the house of Israel, Israel. However you want us to pronounce it, you have to come in through Ephraim, the house of Israel. And that's why Jesus was sent to you. He doesn't have to go to the Jew. They were never divorced. And the house of Israel will be recombined with the house of Judah to become one Hebrew, Israeli, whole house of Israel people again. That's in the process at the cross, and it continues today, and it'll be fulfilled at the second coming. It's there. It's right in your scriptures. We've just got to read them and accept them for what they say. Now back to Ezekiel 37, picking up in verse 24, the Davidic kingdom is promised. It says, my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances, in my statutes, and follow them. Folks, this is the Davidic kingdom. This is is what you and I would think of as the millennial. Pay attention to what's going on here. Walk in my statutes. Charlie, that's another name for what? Well, ordinances, or you could call it laws. Also, Torah? Well, yeah, you could call it Torah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the concept is the same, yes? Same thing, yes, yes. But if this is the millennial, why are we keeping Torah if we if the Torah was done away? Um, where does it say the Torah was done away? Exactly, yeah. yes. Show That's that. part of our problem. Show it to me. It's not there. Okay, and thanks, Charlie. In verse twenty-five, it says, "And they will live on—they uh, will live on the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, in which your fathers lived. And they will live on it, and they and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And my servant David will be their leader forever, forever. And this is a this is a reference to the Messiah. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant with them. And this is the renewed covenant. And I will place them." And multiply them in my sanctuary in their midst, not the not, not the third temple, where he lives. Where does he live in their midst? 
My dwelling place also will be among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Where does he put his Torah? In our heart. Where does he live? In our heart. This is talking about when he lives within the heart of his people. And here is another example of understanding uh, some of the Hebrew behind this, because he, he is talking about my servant David, um, yes. you know, King, King David. However, you have to understand that Hebrew names, just about all of them, have a meaning behind them. And David means the, my beloved, basically. So when he's talking about my servant David, you can also interpret that as his beloved, who would be, you know, referring to the Messiah. So, you know, there these things get a little bit deeper if you understand some of the Hebrew and uh, some of the linguistics behind it. But even if you don't understand the Hebrew, if you're watching the concepts and you're paying oh, attention sure. to the concepts in your English translations, you're still going to find it. Yeah, you'll see, still see it. Right. So if you're, this is why if instead of English word studies, you'll worry about concept first, then worry about study word studies, and then get into the Hebrew interlinear, your understanding of your scriptures is going to come together a lot lot easier a lot quicker yes thanks charlie so going back to this this is just the screen where i was doing a search just for the two houses and oh boy there's all sorts of garbledy gook here and you can you can get yourself lost in that if you're not grounded but th that's the two house theology jeremiah ver uh, chapter 3 verses 8 through 11 and it says i gave faithless israel her certificate of divorce in the hebrew it says a get g-e-t G-E-T, that's, that's a divorce before the consummation of the marriage. So if Joseph had divorced Mary when he found that Mary was pregnant, he was going to give her a get, okay? So this is what Israel, the house of Israel is given a get. And then he sent her away. Yahweh says, I sent her away because of all her adulteries. That's apostasy, her unfaithfulness in religion, faithful uh, spiritual uh, adultery. It says, yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. In other words, she was an apostate nation too. Because Israel's uh, immorality um, mattered so little to her, to Judah, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In other words, false idols. In spite of all of this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. So when Judah returns, Judah doesn't return to Torah entirely. Judah returns to the oral Torah, the Pharisees and Sadducees. So that's not a good thing. And then when we come down here in Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 51, the Samaria did not commit half the sins you did, talking to Judah. You have done more detestable things than they and have made your sisters seem righteous by these things you have done. So why the heck, if there are not two nations, is Yahweh speaking through his prophets, calling them two nations? We have got to accept what the scriptures say. This is clear. Then we go to Isaiah 8.14. Then he will become a sanctuary, both to the house of Israel, he will be a stone of a stumbling and a rock of offense, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem but to both houses of Israel. 
but to both houses of Israel. He will be a stone of stumbling. Well, who's the stumbling block? Messiah, right? To how many houses of Israel? So I now have Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Jeremiah telling me that there are two houses of Israel. Why do I have Christian preachers running around telling me I don't understand any of this? I don't know. I don't know. Isaiah 8.14, however many, this is just so that you can see the different translations. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. This is just a different translation, the the NIV, the New Living Translation. He will keep you safe, but to Israel and Judah, English Standard Version, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. And he will the Berean Standard Bible, and he will be a sanctuary both to to but to both houses of Israel, and he shall be a sanctuary, this is King James, but for a stone of stumbling and a rock for offense to both the house of Israel, both the houses, new kings um, to the houses of Israel, new American Standard um, to both the houses, NASB to both the houses of Israel. I mean, folks, it's it's right there, two houses. So the new covenant, Let's jump to that, the new covenant. Who's the new covenant actually promised to? It said, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hands to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, and though I was their husband, see, they were married, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, with the house of Israel now. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. That's where he will live. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for thy, thy shall all, um, all know, the Lord, know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their inequity, and I will remember their sin no more. So why has he got to make it with Israel? Because the covenant, the wedding contract, is already in place for Judah. And the new covenant will incorporate Judah. He's going to put the two sticks back together again. But the wedding contract, you know, that the Kabah or whatever, the, the thing we talked about last week, that's in place for Judah. They were never given a divorce. This is this is very important, folks. This is, excuse me for just. I sure hope that didn't come through. I muted the mic for you. I'm sorry, but this is. If you're going to be grafted in through the house of Israel, is house of Israel has to be brought back under the marriage contract. And notice, here in this passage, Jeremiah is talking about they're both married. Both houses are married to Yahweh, but there hasn't been a wedding consummation yet. That's the wedding supper that you read about in the New Testament. That, that, that's what that is. That's the consummate. That's the end of time. So now we come down here to Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's chapter, verse 26 in that chapter, huh? Let's come down here real quick and let me see. Therefore, say, this is starting in verse 22, like Charlie tells us, 2020 vision, right? Let's go a few verses up. 
Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, if not for the sake, for not, if not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. So he's doing it to protect his name, not for the mercy to the people, which you have profaned amongst the nations to which you came, amongst the nations, the Goyim. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Okay, folks, stop. He just said, this is Yahweh speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, just says, house of Israel. I'm going to do this to you, not the house of Judah, house of Israel. He's going to take the house of Israel and the company of nations with him and bring them back into their land. Folks, this is the second exodus you hear Charlie and I talk about. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. In other words, cross over and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll put within you. This is new covenant. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is under the new covenant. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the trees and the increase in the field abundant, and you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine amongst the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your inequities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Y'all understand? It, 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 is it coming through? Are we... If you're going to be saved, the house of the kingdom of Yahweh, as a Gentile, you must be grafted into the house of Israel. This is also why Paul tells you, if you're not circumcised when, when you come to the Lord, don't become a Jew. Don't convert to Judaism. In other words, don't go under that old covenant. There's a better one. That's what he's telling you. He's not saying stay a Gentile. He's saying become part of the house of Israel. Graft in through the house of Israel with the new covenant, the better covenant. Don't go under the old covenant. Go under the new. That's what he's telling us. The Jew, the house of Judah, the, the Orthodox Jews that are still under the covenant of Moses or are still trying to be, will eventually come under the new covenant as well. We've just read that. Coming on the board, dip by DDT. Wouldn't that exodus be beginning at the millennial reign? <sighs> yes, it would. But that's where we get into another problem. We're always told that the millennial reign will start after the second coming of the Messiah. And I understand where people get this from. The millennial reign starts when the Messiah comes. Yes, you're right. When did the Messiah come again, Charlie? Um, About 2,000 years ago. Ah. So the people who say the millennial reign starts after the Messiah comes are right, right? Yeah, it did. And not after the second coming. 
if if anybody wants to worry, run, wonder about this one, go back and find our show on the rapture. Because the rapture clearly tells you what happens. He comes back, he judges the world, you go into the great white throne judgment, and then the scripture says he hands everything back to the Father at that time. Where's the room for another thousand years? Because there's no time at that point. Time, as, as we know, it's gone right there. There's no thousand years to have. There's no time. We've covered this before. It's just as clear in scripture. So you're in the millennial reign. And now here's one that, hopefully his mic's still on. I've been wrestling with this with Charlie. He... He didn't see it this way when he and I first met, but he's wrestling with this now. Charlie, I keep telling people that Zechariah has to be the prophet to what we think of as the Christian age, because that's the only way he makes sense. Are you starting to understand why I say that? Oh, yeah. Because yeah, if he's talking about the second coming and then another thousand year reign, Zechariah is at odds with most of scripture, isn't he? Yes, and that and Zechariah is the one I'm still. There's still some things in there I'm still trying to figure out, but that's why I need I need to dive deeper into the prophetic language. But now, if I, I accept, think there's some stuff I'm misinterpreting there. Mm -hmm. But now, if I accept, just for what you've seen so far, what you've done so far, if I accept that we are in the millennial reign from the ascension, some things in Zechariah start clicking firmly into place, don't they? Yes, they do. Just click, 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 and. If you pay attention to the language that's used in the New Testament, it's pretty clear that the kingdom has come. I mean, because Yeshua what, just says that what, what the kingdom has come over upon and you. over and over again. The kingdom is near, 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 and then has come after, upon after you. his ascension, or well, after his resurrection, I mm -hmm. should say, uh, the kingdom's here. Yes. So he affirms that, and so that would mean that, and see, that's the other thing that people miss, is we're kind of like the Jews in some ways. We're still looking for that physical kingdom Bingo. that he, you know, that, that people are looking and for. And what did but Yeshua his, tell Pilate says, his kingdom says, was? Yes, Pilate says, or he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world... You wouldn't be stopping. He <laughs> wouldn't be doing anything. So we have to understand that spiritually his kingdom is here. Mm -hmm. So, Which explains why all the nations can come up to the mountain of Yahweh, which is Jerusalem in the heavenly realm, the spirit, the kingdom of Yahweh, and worship. And if you don't bring your sacrifices and keep the feast days and the Sabbaths, he will withhold the rain what did he blessings tell the sumerian woman at the well there will come a time when we will neither worship here nor in jerusalem but in spirit but in spirit because in spirit you are in heavenly jerusalem new yes. jerusalem you will worship in jerusalem just like he tells us to spiritually now I don't understand. I know that if you're stuck in the visible church, you're never going to see this. And I don't want to point fingers or accuse or condemn anybody. That's not the point. But if you are stuck with the traditions of man in Jesus's day, when the first coming with the Pharisees, you're not going to see what he's trying to tell the people either. So why did the people flock to him? Because he spoke with great authority that was greater than the Pharisees. In other words, he is the living Torah. He knows exactly what he's saying. And it was evident to those who were listening to him. 
But here, here's part of the problem I think that we have in the traditional church is they tend to take prophecy too literally. Well, they it can be both. They don't see the prophetic language behind it and understand that. And I still have problems with that. That's something, you know, I know we're planning on doing a show about that. We'll do up. that. You know what? Because, man, yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out. And as I've, you know, started to understand the prophetic language better, boy, that sure changes your perspective on how things may happen. The prophetic language is, is very symbolic, like the, the tops of the cedars, the lop off the top of the tree, the cedar trees. You know, you'll see the prophets talking about that. That means knock down your high men, your, your leaders, your, your power. If we were to, if something happened, if Yahweh called both Trump and Biden home, that would be t lopping off the tops of our cedars. That's what that means. And there are lots of things I've had to learn. And as soon as you understand that, it fits. It fits very well. Problem is they could be talking about the actual trees of Lebanon at the exact same time they're talking about people. And that's the Middle Eastern fuzzy thinking I have to try to explain to people from time to time. We're going to take our break. We'll come back. I'll try to clean this up just a little bit and get it all put down for you. But the big thing I wanted to try and get through today is show you the scriptures where if you're a Gentile, you're grafted into the house of Israel. But once you're grafted into the house of Israel, you are Israel. You're Hebrew. You're crossed over. You're born again. And if you're Israel, then all those ordinances that apply to Israel forever and ever, amen, apply to us. Black and white. Red, too, if you've got a red letter Bible, but, you know. See you in six minutes. Boy, that hour went fast. Yeah.
All right. So let me just kind of tie this in a bow real quick. And then we got some questions and other things to take care of real fast here on the board. Um, so I had started the show by telling, you know, the, um, Jacob, the man Israel, he crosses his hands with the blessing of Joseph's sons and he puts the birthright on Israel. You're grafted in through Israel. So from that point forward, you go forward and, um, you're going to eventually split in the houses of Israel, get, you know, Israel becomes a nation, King David, David and Solomon. And then eventually they split over a tax revolt, by the way. So you, you look for a group of people who yearn for their freedom, think that their own individual ruggedness and their wealth and their military might um, make them special, and they tend to revolt against taxes. And you'll find the prophetic nature of Ephraim. Where might I find those people in history? Does 1776 mean anything to anybody? But um, so you're grafted into the house of Israel, which is the same thing, fullness of the Gentiles, fullness of the Goyim, company of of nations, the same thing in Romans 11. So when everybody gets finally put back together into one people, you, you don't have a replacement theology. We're all grafted in there. Now, real quick, before I get to that question from JMW, I understand Wade Stavely's in here saying there's a lot of people who would disagree with, I, I'm assuming they would disagree with my take on the two houses. I don't understand how. It's everywhere in scripture. Ezekiel, again, he's talking here in Ezekiel 35. Is talking about Mount Seir, and it, and it says, um, if I go backwards here, is since you have said these two, you know, you've said these two nations and these two lands will be mine, and we will possess them. This is Mount Seir, the the land that was given to Esau and his people, his descendants, wanting the two nations, Judah and and Samaria, the the house of Israel, the northern kingdoms. It, it, it Yahweh calls them two nations. If you do a search in the scriptures for two nations and two houses, it comes up over and over and over and over again. And about half the time, it's referring to the two houses of Israel. So they can disagree with me all they want. And and that's fine. I get it. I understand. I don't know why. It's in scripture. I've shown you four prophets plus the Messiah calling them two, and plus Paul calling them two different houses. So I got seven. Hey, there's seven. Number of completion. Argument over with. It, it, what more can I do? I'm, I'm, I mean, for crying out loud, Jacob turned him into two houses when he crossed his arms. So I, I just don't, I don't understand. But uh, that'll conclude everything I have for the first hour. We've got a few questions on the board here that not necessarily directly related to this though, but uh, JMW, he asks, one day I would like to hear y'all compare the armor of God and the priestly garments. We need to do that. Because if you look at the armor of God as the priestly garments, then there's a lot more significance there than just using a Greek or Roman soldier's armor. Uh, I don't know why we do that. That's our Greek thinking hanging on. We should compare it to the priestly garments, And in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, there's a lot there to be unpacked because uh, a lot of people don't understand either. You know, we've talked about how the scriptures, especially like the the Torah that Moshe wrote and such is, is a legal document, mm-hmm. but also <clears throat> you, if you understand the way it's laid out in the Hebrew, uh, it's very militaristic in, in the way it's laid out in, in the, the language it's used. Um, 
Well, the camp, the encampment that Yahweh tells them to use when they're in the desert is militaristic. Yes, yes, it is. All, all of that stuff. And so, you know, comparing, you know, between, you know, perhaps the Romans or whatever, whatever you want, you know, traditional uh, armament. Uh, but yes, you look at the priestly garments and that's a spiritual armor. I mean, Paul talks about it, you know, in, in his writings as well, talking about these things. And that's where he gets this imagery because they have, you know, they have head coverings, you know, helmets. They've got special, you know, uh, garments. They've got a breastplate. You know, they, they've got all these things, you know, that you would, you know, consider to be armaments of a, a traditional soldier, if you will. Mm-hmm. But it's spiritual armor. Yes. So the priest, the high priest is wearing spiritual armor, which That's is worth right. more to you, bronze and leather or spiritual armor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, JMW also had another comment on here. No, excuse me. This is MW78. My bad. This is... Uh, I think that our spiritual eyes and ears are underdeveloped or under underdeveloped and we have not been uh, challenged to use them. You, you know, in second Thessalonians, it talks about the great delusion that's going to come and cause the falling away. I used to for a long time, you know, it's this, it's that it's every, and then I got to thinking, look, look at spiritual first, then physical. If this great delusion is that there's no spirit world, and you quit using your spiritual eyes, what happens to any part of the body we quit using as a people? It atrophies, right? Well, if we've quit looking at the world spiritually, you'll no longer see things spiritually. If the delusion is that we don't believe in the spirit world anymore, well, then the great delusion could be science. It could be reason, the great awakening. It could be secular humanism. It could be the TV. The great delusion becomes everything because you no longer see the spiritual significance of it. In other words, the, the things like, ambulances ambulances used to be at least in my hat hometown or the ambulance and fire truck used to be white and red okay well what's the significance of white and red well in the case of the scriptures you're washed white with the blood so it could be whatever you want emergency and white light all of the, those were positive connections in that sense and you know like the cowboy used to wear the good boy guy used to wear the white hat now the good guys the cool guys wear the black hat well all the ambulances and fire trucks in our town now are red and black y'all know what the colors of red and black are now instead of being washed clean by the blood of the messiah now sin leads to blackness that's that's the red moon and black sackcloth of the sun those are that's a that is literally an antichrist image you took what was good and turned it into evil when I see that fire engine driving down the road in my town, my spiritual eyes see Isaiah 5, 20, 21, driving down the road. So I do think that um, that was a good comment right there. Um, and I think it was JMW. I think I cut off the yeah, J. Yeah, it was JMW. Yeah, I cut off the J. I'm sorry. But um, when I copied and pasted it over. So it was JMW. Another good good observation by JMW. Um, anything else on the board today? Because I'm talked out. I gave you my lesson in one hour. <laughs> Down and simple. Uh, coming yeah. on the board here by our AI, didn't something similar happen to the police cars? Well, it, yeah, especially since what the police cars have done is become, in a lot of cases, deception. Oh, from yes. protecting oh. to serve, you know, and, and from peace officers to police officers. And now you can't even see their markings. They, they hide the lights on top and they mark them dull so nobody can see them. They've become collection intact. They've become the sheriff of Nottingham. 
and people hate them and want to be they're, they're not a force of good anymore um on the whole and i understand well joe there's good people it is yeah but look at the institution those good people are serving it's not doing the job. I, I know you still got to struggle and try and do it. I got, I got all that. I got all that. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a spiritual conversation this time. L look at the, what has been, what it has been turned into is what I'm trying to focus us on right now. And these, these symbols are everywhere. The, uh, there's a article in the paper, in the news the headlines, the, the vet that deheaded, um, knocked the head off that satanic statue. They're charging him with a hate crime. When our society equates Satanism, well, it's not even equated. They will persecute Christians for a hate crime for not serving gays with a cake. And then they'll put a Christian in jail for knocking the, the head off of a satanic statue. That's a double per persecution of Christians at the expense of homosexuality and Satanism. That that's not an equating of the two religions. That's an inversion. We're again Isaiah 5, 2021. So yeah, I I think um I think what we really need to do is work on those spiritual eyes. Yes. Yeah. And if I were on the jury. Or this person that did this. Oh, I would explain to I the judge what nullify. jury nullification is all about. <laughs> yes. yes. I just tell him, hey, that was just freedom of expression. It's protected by the First Amendment. That's right. I mean, if they can burn my flag. That's right. He can whack the head off of your Satanist, you know. Yeah. And throw their own jurisprudence, you know, their starry decisis back at them. That's how you do pushback. Of course, they would be good hypocrites. Oh no, it doesn't apply in this case. Because yeah. then your right to free speech and, and gets in the way of their freedom of religion. Say, so, well, no, they were free to put the statue up. I just took it down. So I don't know. Do we have anything else, Charlie? You got anything you want to add to today's conversation? Because I'm, like I said, I'm. I did what I needed to do. Um, not really. Um. Unless, if any of my Mormon friends have questions on what I said earlier, uh, Joe at the road to concord.com, I'd be glad to handle it. Email. Yes. Notice what else we covered today. We, we, we covered the two houses. We put an end to this idea of replacement theology. We told you that in the millennial, whenever it is, you're still keeping the Torah. So why would we come up to the cross, do away with the Torah, and then bring the Torah back again in the millennial? And then if you're in the millennial, then Torah is still here. And that's the only way that I've ever been able to find to make Zechariah make sense. Dealt with the two houses. We've dealt with the wedding. We've dealt with Gentiles being grafted in and how you get your salvation. Case in point, we were talking about earlier too. Oh, remember we did the wedding bride, the, the Jew, Hebrew wedding? A bride is bought for a price, right? Usually 30 pieces of silver. But in this case, it was bl blood of Messiah. You were bought at a price. The Jews weren't bought. They're already married. We read that. Yahweh says through Jeremiah, hey, I married you when I brought you out of Egypt. And what was the price of the betrayal of Yeshua? 30 pieces of silver. Oh, geez. Cost of a slave or a bride. All these, all this imagery, gosh, it's rich. And it all just it goes together like this. 
once you know it. I know that believers are fascinated with scripture. So maybe Charlie, I didn't know what to teach them next, next Wednesday. Maybe it's time to two or three part careful on the prophetic language. Yes, I would like that. <laughs> we need to prove that there is a prophetic language and then we need to expand on it and show it and then teach a little of it and then do some practical application and go through and read some of the prophets and see how they're not as mysterious or complicated as what I once thought they were. I used to read them and it was all gibniff to me. But once I, once some, another brother showed me, Hey, there's a prophetic language. You just got to learn it. And yep. Prophets were telling me it was a prophetic language the whole time. And I just didn't pay attention because I was too busy reading what I wanted to read into the scriptures. So two, three, four weeks, February is a good short month. That'd be a good week to tackle the prophetic language, even if it's four weeks in a row. Yeah, that'd be good. Anything else? Any other questions on the board? Anything we need to tackle? Now's the time, folks. If you got questions, bring them on. If not, we'll wrap it up for the day. Um, Is there anything else that comes to mind for you or Natasha? You got anything bouncing around in your little electronic brain there? (laughs) She sort of kind of likes that. So if you think we're being mean to Natasha, don't. As long as I don't go hairy on her, she's happy with Oh, are you talking about furry? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, Disgruntled right, beep boop noises. Disgruntled beep boop noises. <laughs> She's going to have to get a sound effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. I think we're good then. All right. All right. We'll wrap it up. That's all we have for today, folks. When I, uh, I've, I've learned once I get done and the Holy Spirit says, shit, you yap, Joe. I shut my yap. So the nugget, if there was one, is in the first hour today. Um, we thank each and every one of you for being here. We really do. We love you. This this whole thing here, this show, labor of love and of service, service to Yahweh, service to you, service to each other, keeping each other in check. Uh, th- that'd be me, Natasha, and uh, Charlie. So, hey. We're glad you're here and we thank you for being here. If this is of any value to you, please share it, spread it around. This one might actually get, uh, yeah, they might leave this one up on YouTube and Facebook. So did you put yourself up there for a reason there, Charlie, man? Yeah, just one quick thing, because we did have a, a thing last uh, Shabbat. Uh, if, oh, yeah. if you do follow our Shabbat services, um, email joe at the road to concord.com. If you'd like to be notified when we have uh, short notice changes, we can either put you on uh, our Facebook feed or we also have a signal uh, chat group that uh, we can put you on into if uh, you want notifications. Join our congregation electronically. (laughs) Yeah, we had a a short notice cancellation because of some things going on last week. But everybody's okay. Yeah, everybody's now. Well, we'll be getting better anyway. They're on their way, (laughs) hopefully. All right. So. Well, then that's all I got. We will uh, bow out of here. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to talk about secession conspiracies. I'll grab my notes and we'll go through how to do that again. The first time I did that, a lot of people laughed when we started and they weren't laughing at the end of that class. They saw just how easy it was to do. Well, let's just expand on that. And Oh, by the way, very proud of our governor, Charlie. 
he sent 800 National Guardsmen to Texas, the highest of any of the other 24 states. And in most cases, by at least two or three times the number. So good. Yes, good. And hopefully he sent infantrymen that can actually do some good, <laughs> not support personnel. <laughs> All right, folks. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Bye-bye.